Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. It is such an honor to share this message with you today. I'm confident that God wants to use it to challenge us, to change us. And so as I pray, I'm going to ask you to make a determination in your heart that I will be focused, I will be locked in, and I will be courageous enough to follow through on what God is speaking. Can you do that today? Amazing. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for meeting us here, for speaking to us through your word, and I pray for focus and courage to follow it through, that our minds and perspectives would be changed today. In your name we pray, amen. As you know, we're in a series called Dreamer. I really believe that God has a dream for your life, a dream that you can dream, a vision that you could have, clarity uh, of, of conviction and clarity of thought about what your future will be and how you will live in accordance with that. And God, the giver of those dreams, is perfect in his wisdom. Look what it says in, in Romans chapter 11 and 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Now here's what's key for us. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. If you weren't with us last week, let me give you just a really quick refresher on your wildest dreams. Dreams that are from God are only possible through God. And when that dream that's from God is made possible through God, then the, the result is for God. That, that if you're dreaming a dream or, or thinking a thought for your future, that you are the sole recipient of the goodness, then, then you've missed it. A dream from God is actually only possible through God. The, the purpose is for God. And in the end, the result is all to God. Whatever your wildest dream is today, we, we surrender those things. We lay them down at, at the, the feet of Jesus and we say, God, breathe life into what you dream for our future because his plan is perfect. His plan is in accordance with his good pleasure. Now we've been looking at the life of, of Joseph, the dreamer. And as we look at his life today, I want to bring a message entitled this, sweet dreams are made of this. Now I know your mind's being blown right now because as I say, sweet dreams are made of, you think the word is these, but the actual lyric and title is sweet dreams are made of this. Today I want to make one kind of defining point of characteristic that is required for those sweet dreams to, to come true. Is that cool? Awesome. I'm going to read today and I'm going to begin really with what will feel like uh, an elongated story time. I need to give the context of the story of Joseph's life in order for us to make application to our own lives. Perhaps typically I might say, hey, check out this one verse on the screen or look at this one point, but today it's gonna to be a little bit more in form of story and it's gonna require me to tell fewer personal stories. I need to just tell you this Bible story and then bring application to our lives. The book of Genesis chapter 37 is where this story begins. Last week we looked at the fact that Joseph was a dreamer. He had dreams from God. And if you recall and remember the dream from God, the initial dream that came to him was that uh, he would be great amongst his family. And so it, it came in a few different ways, but as he clarified, he said to his family, I had this dream and, and, and the sun and the moon and all the stars bowed down to me. And his brothers who hated him uh, because of the favor that his father showed him. They were jealous of it. They were like, dude, just shut up. His dad even was like, hey, Joseph, you should probably just chill a little bit 
on, on telling us these dreams? Do you think you're greater than everybody else? And uh, we pick up the story in Genesis 37, verse 12. It says this, Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel, who's Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. And so he said to him, Go and see all that is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and then bring back word to me. So Joseph made his way to go and do exactly what his father had asked him to do. Verse 19, it says, When he was still a far way off, his brothers saw him, and they said, Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let us kill him. Let's throw him into this cistern and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. But his brother Reuben said, instead, let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Just throw him in the cistern here in the wilderness and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this with the intention to come back and save him later and bring him back to his father. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped his robe off and they threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to Egypt. Judah, one of the brothers, said, What will be gained if we kill our brother and we cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let's not lay a hand on him. After all, he's our brother. He's our flesh and blood. And so his brothers agreed. I love that Judah's going, hey, let's be super compassionate. He's our brother after all. Let's just sell him into slavery. And so he's sold into slavery for, uh, I think it's 20 shekels of silver, which is about eight ounces of silver. And they sell him as a slave. And he makes his way in a caravan towards Egypt. The story is not looking so great for Joseph the dreamer. But we pick it back up. In Genesis 39, again, this is kind of an elongated story time, so we get the full context of Joseph's life story, Joseph the dreamer. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, who was an Egyptian, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of his guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. So he's sold into slavery and then purchased into servitude in, in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph, and so he prospered, and he lived in the house of this Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes because of his attendant. And he became, I should say, his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted him to care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of this Egyptian man. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything into Joseph's care. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of him, and she said, Hey, Joseph, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is under my, my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you're his wife. Now then, could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her on e or even to be with her. Verse 11, one day he went into the house of the, uh, to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and she said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left the cloak in her hand, she also ran out of the house and called to the servants, look, this Hebrew who's been 
brought to us, has made sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak and ran out of the house. She kept uh, his cloak beside her until the master Potiphar had returned. And then she told him that story. The Hebrew slave you bought has come to make sport of me. And as soon as he, I screamed for help, he ran out. He left his cloak. When his master heard this story, he burned with anger. Wow. Wow, he did nothing. And here he is, falsely accused. He took him to prison and he placed him in the king's prison where everyone was confined. But the Lord granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who were held in prison. And he's made responsible for all that was done there. God gave him success, whatever he did. So it starts with kind of like a down part of his story. It seems to continue to another down part of his story. Like back-to-back -back tragic chapters. Now in the prison, there are other prisoners amongst them is a cupbearer and a baker who worked for the Pharaoh, the king of, of all of Egypt. And they had been displeasing to him and so he sent them into prison. They were under Joseph's care. One night they both have a dream. And uh, it says uh, here <clears throat> that they came to Joseph looking disheartened. And so he said, hey, just tell me what your dreams are. Maybe I can give you an interpretation for them. And so they told them. The, the cupbearer said, here's the specific dream I had. The baker said, here's the specific dream I had. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, great news. Uh, this, this dream means this, that in three days, the king will actually restore you to your position. Awesome. And he says this in verse 14, but when all this goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Then he says to the baker, hey, bro, bad news for you. Your dream actually means that in three days, the king will, will bring you out of prison to kill you. So I got good news for you, bad news for you. And sure enough, three days come, three days go. Cupbearer and baker both brought out of prison. Cupbearer is restored to his position. Baker is impaled. This king is vicious. And then it says this, verse 23 of Genesis chapter 40. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, this is not the end of Joseph's story, but it is where we're going to end today. And it shows chapter after chapter of tragedy, of misunderstanding, of heartbreak, disappointment. What I think it clarifies for us is that even though we might be the recipients of sweet dreams, there is still a requirement in the midst of that dream in order for us to live in its fulfillment. I want to propose today that there are two major areas that we need to deal with. If you're a dreamer of God's dream, a dream that comes from him, that's only possible through him, that, that is resulted uh, for him, and in the end, all glory goes to him. If you're that type of dreamer, that has a vision for your life, a purpose for your life. You feel like God's given you clarity. And if you're not, by the end of this series, I'm believing you will be because it is the desire of God for us to understand the dream he has for our lives. Then we're going to have to face two critical struggles and challenges. Number one, how will we deal with favor? And number two, how will we deal with fallout? You see, in Joseph's life, we see this repetition of theme that there is favor 
on his life. He is favored by his father in such a way that, that his father makes it clear to all the sons, Joseph's my favorite. In fact, he, he does this by, by making him a robe that is multicolored. You might have heard of Joseph in the coat of many colors. Multicolored, ornate, beautiful robe. So they're simple men, they're farmers, they're, they're, they're shepherds. And, and Joseph's got, or Jacob's got 12 sons, but on one of those sons, Joseph, he places his favor. And it's visible and it's clear. When they're all out keeping the sheep, Joseph is at home with his dad and sent to go bring messages. He's favored. Then he comes to the house of Potiphar. And though he was a slave, sold into servitude, totally unjust what happens to him, he again is brought into favor. Why? Because God favors him. God causes him to prosper. The prosperity in his life is actually overflowing in such a way that he's not just the recipient of it. He actually seems to be the source of it, that the house of Potiphar is blessed just because Joseph's there. You know, I think that's true for some of you. That your presence in your workplace, in your community, in your home is actually bringing prosperity to the places that you go. There's so much favor on your life. Isn't it wild the paradox that exists? He's enslaved. He's in servitude. He's not really living in the fullness of the, the dream or the realization of the dream. And yet God's favor is still really evident on his life. The same could be true of you. Maybe there's this incredible impacting ministry or, or, or business idea or, or you know, dream you have for your life and you're not living in it yet. You're not there yet. It's not realized yet. It's only going to be possible through God. But in the midst of it, God's still favoring you. He's still prospering you in the midst of that. And then, then he's misunderstood and he's accused falsely. It's terrible. He makes his way into prison and again, favor. He's in an amazing, just marked by favor. Do you know those people? It seems like no matter what happens to them, they just keep on landing in favorable situations. It's the hand of God on their life, the grace of God on their life. And so here he is a prisoner and he's favored. So he's an outcast brother, but favored. He is a servant who's favored. And then eventually even a prisoner that's favored. Isn't it amazing that the favor of God can actually meet with us in any season? But how will we handle favor? You know, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27 and verse 21, it says there is a crucible for silver and there is a furnace for gold. A crucible is like a place where you would melt silver, a furnace, again, a place you would melt gold. And the purpose is to purify them. A crucible for silver, a furnace for gold. Then it says this, man is tested by the praise he receives. In the same way that that. Uh, silver is boiled down and, and gold is baked to get out their impurities. Man is actually tested. Humanity is tested by the praise we receive. That, that with favor is a test of purity. With favor is this, this test. So how does Joseph handle favor? Well, ultimately... He evidences a, a great deal of pride in his life over and over. Now, I'm not hating on Joseph because pride is something we all handle and we all deal with in different ways. It is a, a commonality amongst all humanity. But I want to show you and illustrate for you that in each of these instances, Joseph had to deal with pride and pride has many faces. When, when it's the favor of his father, that you're my favorite kid, I like you the best, I'm giving you the best robe. Joseph has to deal with a superiority complex. He feels just simply better. 
The fact that he's a dreamer and that he's received dreams from God, he feels that he's better than the people around him. The, the nuance or the subtext to sharing his dreams with his brothers is he wanted them to know that he was better. The dream of God was a futuristic thing, something that would take place in the future, but, but Joseph seems to double down and want to take a withdraw from that dream now. Instead of waiting for it to come true, he's like, I just want you guys to know, in the future, I'm going to be better than you all. He has a superiority issue to deal with. I wonder today if maybe you can relate to that in some way, shape, or form. That the, the, the dream God has given you, if you're not careful, you need to surrender or submit that area, that superiority thing, because it just kind of creeps back up into your heart. You want to remind people, I am the best. Like you know who you're talking to, right? Now this is probably the most visibly, uh, readily you know, seen expression of pride. Like someone with superiority complex, you can see them from a mile off. In our own lives, we can recognize immediately, ooh, that's pride. I shouldn't be like that. It usually comes out in that type of thing. Like, do you know who you're talking to? When you feel uh, that you're undervalued or you feel perhaps that you didn't receive the honor that, that, that was due to you, you want to remind people. This would be expressed maybe in, in name dropping. This would be expressed perhaps in, in trying to one-up the people around you and tell a better story and be more central to the, the circumstance that's taking place. Well, in Joseph's case, this superiority actually leads to him being forsaken. And I wonder today if there's anyone watching that you have experienced the fallout of being forsaken. Again, if we're going to handle favor, we also have to handle fallout. How do we handle favor? Well, we develop humility. How do we handle fallout? Great question. Well, the book of Proverbs chapter 24 and 16 says this, that though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets up eight. How does Joseph handle the favor? Well, to be honest, there's a pride issue that needs to be humbled. How does he handle fallout? He keeps going. He doesn't give up. Maybe today you feel like I am the recipient of being forsaken. I feel rejected. I feel the pain. Imagine like the, the multifaceted pain. He's stripped down, thrown into a pit, and then instead of killing him, his brothers go, oh, we're going to profit off of him. And you notice the little dagger in there where they say, now we'll see what comes of his dream. They are speaking directly to that superiority issue that he was expressing. So how do we deal with favor? We get humble. How do we deal with fallout? We get back up. Now, now this happens again. Again, Joseph experiences favor in Potiphar's house. And that favor means that he's got authority. He's got responsibility. He's at work and he's attending to all of the issues and affairs of his master's house. It says that the, the prosperity in his life affects the household and all the fields. It's like there's a big uh, kind of uh, halo, if you will, around Joseph of favor and prosperity. And in this setting... It's easy to look and say, well, he was just completely mistreated. Unfair, shouldn't have been there in the first place, and then lied about, right? Well, perhaps today we could see that there's maybe still just a little bit of pride that Joseph is dealing with. And here's the pride. It's not expressed in superiority. He wasn't walking around telling people, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. Perhaps being forsaken had sort of ground that out of him. Certainly, he seems to have had the ability to get back up and to keep moving forward 
even though he went through that incredible rejection. But, but in this instance, his pride is, express, is expressed through a self-reliance that's really unhealthy. He's got this self-reliant uh, point of view that he's above reproach, that he's above temptation, that, that he can put himself in dangerous places, but no, nah, I'm not going to fall. Others might, but not me. Now, now here, here, I can prove it to you. He was in charge of the household. He was being tempted every day. And that particular day, he still went into a house knowing that there was no other servants present, knowing he would be put alone with his temptress, knowing he would be put alone with a, a dangerous person. But in his self-reliance, he's like, I got this. Now, now, there might be some of you listening today. You're like, man, this cuts a little deep because I don't think it's the worst thing ever to have self-confidence. It's not the worst thing ever, but we do need to be careful. Now, remember what I said, there is this halo effect that can take place around favor. There's also a halo, halo effect that takes place around pride. Have you ever heard of that, the halo effect? The halo effect is this. It's recognizing uh, a good trait and making an assumption that one good trait equals goodness altogether. Here's what it looks like. An employer can assume that an enthusiastic employee is also a competent employee. The halo effect. Like, man, that person loves being here. They're probably also great at their job. Now, some of you are thinking of a coworker right now who turns up, they show up whenever the boss is around, but their competence is lacking. But what, why does the employer not see it? Because of the halo effect. They look and all they see is the trait they want to see. And because they see that trait evident, they, they make an assumption about the rest of them. Now, here's the thing that can take place. We can become our own audience where we look in the mirror and we create a halo effect for ourselves. I believe that's what Joseph did. Joseph's like, man, I'm so favored. My, my brothers, they just didn't get it. But here I am, I show up as a slave and before long, I'm in charge of the house. Like, I'm crushing it. And pff, are you serious, Potiphar's wife? There's no chance. This is not gonna happen. He goes, like, I'm fit and handsome. I, I'm, not, I'm not going there, I'm not doing that. And he's so self-reliant. There's like this halo effect where he's certain, not only that he won't fall to temptation, which was true, but also that he would never be a victim uh, of misunderstanding which was untrue. His assumption in that halo effect was, I am above questioning. I know how much integrity I have, and certainly everybody else sees it as well. And so what does he experience? He experiences false accusation. His superiority, I should say, leads to being forsaken. His self-reliance leads to false accusation. And again, he falls down. But what does the righteous do? Well, here's how they handle fallout. They get back up. If you want to be a dreamer of God's dream, you are going to need to learn how to deal with uh, pride and favor. You're also going to need to learn how to deal with pain and fallout. So it's not just two times. This happens a third time. Now, we'll see and we'll look at this in the weeks to come that this all happens between the time that Joseph is 17 and 30. So, so he, he's got this tough early part to his adulthood. Maybe you're watching it, man, I'm stuck somewhere in my 20s. I feel like I'm living out this story. Well, you can find some encouragement in Joseph's life. Maybe you feel like, nah, the 20s are a long time ago and I'm still in this. Well, hey, everyone's story is a little different, but we'll, you will see some of these themes align again. 
So again, Joseph, because of the favor, the grace, the goodness of God on his life, again, he experiences favor in the prison. And again, that favor positions him for responsibility and authority. And again, it's like by God's grace, there's this opportunity to function in his favor and to function in his gift. And so he interprets a dream. Good news for one, bad news for the other. And did you notice the, the, the statement? It seems like a throwaway statement. It's like, oh, it's no, that's no big deal. It's actually to be expected. But when he interprets the dream of the cupbearer, he makes this one statement. He goes, when this comes true, don't forget me. You're like, well, that's not so bad. Okay. But what I do think it expresses is some entitlement. And entitlement is another facet of pride. Here's Joseph again having to deal with some of the favor on his life. Everywhere he goes, it's like things keep working out. He knows God loves him. He knows that he was favored by his father, favored by his employer, now favored by the prison warden. He's like, man, everything I, I, I touch kind of works out. Even when there's fallout because of my righteousness, I fell down seven times, but I got back up eight. I'm still doing okay. I'm still receiving praise. I'm still getting accolades. There's still words of affirmation in my life around me. And that ought to be worth something. And so he goes, hey, because of the gift I just used in your life, you owe me. Don't forget me. Well, I think by God's grace, he needs to remove entitlement from us so much that we are often forgotten. I've experienced that in my life. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. It's painful to be forsaken. It's painful to be falsely accused. It's painful to be forgotten. But again, there is an element of pride. We'll, we'll pick up the story next week. You'll see it's still a couple more years. A couple more years who are filled with days that he wakes up still behind bars, still falsely accused, still only even in that nation because he was forsaken and sold. It's like one uh, issue, one fallout compounding on the other. It would be so easy to quit, but how does the dreamer handle favor? They get humble. How does the dreamer handle fallout? Well, they're humble enough to get back up. Maybe today you're experiencing one of these aspects of fallout. Maybe you've been forsaken. Maybe you've been falsely accused or misunderstood. Maybe you've been just seemingly forgotten. I want to encourage you. You're favored by God. You're loved by God. You're called by God. But he loves you enough to make sure that he works out humility in your life. Look what it says in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, 12. I'm going to try to bring this to a close just in the next few moments. Again, I'm so grateful that you're locked in with me and you're receiving. I hope today there's some application coming in your life and your situation. Look at this. Proverbs 18, 12. It says this. Before a downfall in heart is haughtiness. But humility comes before honor. I think the whole counsel of scripture would be so clear on this. That it's God's desire to lift you up. But before he lifts us up, he needs to see the evidence of humility in our lives. That's why you can see in the New Testament the statement, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up in due time. Humility comes before honor. Don't give up on your dream. Don't, don't just make an assumption, well, I guess I missed it altogether and I'm just a loser. That's not true. Just because you've been for, for, forsaken doesn't mean 
that you're not seeing God's dream clearly. It might just mean that you needed to get rid of some pride of superiority. Just because you're a dreamer doesn't mean you're better than anyone. It might be that you feel falsely accused, misunderstood, misclassified, stuck in a corner that you don't belong in. Okay, but why don't you just at least have a look? I know I have to in my heart regularly and go, is there some self-reliance here that I need to get rid of? I don't want to be a person who lives in self-reliance thinking I need nobody just because God's favoring me. I got to be humble. I don't want to look at myself in a mirror and see a halo effect where I go, I'm great at one thing, so I'm just the best. Or maybe today you feel forgotten. Like, here I am, I'm, I'm two years into my dream, I'm ten years into my dream, it's just not happening. Well, perhaps, maybe, there's some entitlement that we can get up out of our heart and lay it down at the feet of Jesus and learn from and grow from. Now, as I bring this to a close, hear me in this. The goal is not self-hatred. The goal is not self-degradation, where you go, okay, cool, I'll just con con confirm the fact. I'm the worst ever. That's actually not even humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's actually just thinking of yourself less. It's learning to fix your eyes, your mind, and your attention on different things. So let me read this verse to you, and I, I hope this will land and hit hard. Uh, book of Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, in verse 23, it says this. It says this, uh, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. This right here, sweet dreams are made of this. It's not saying pride is, is the problem. It's misplaced pride that is the problem. It's saying, because I'm a dreamer, I'm so proud of the dream that I got. No, no, don't be proud of the dream. Don't be proud that you were the recipient of a dream. Put your pride and your boast in the giver of the dream. Say, so yeah, riches come and go. Strength fades. It, it, it shifts. Wisdom, there's always someone smarter. There's always new information that's brought to the equation. But this I'm excited about. I know God. And I know the characteristics of God. And I know the faithfulness of God. And if he's been true once, he'll be true again. He'll keep on doing the things that he's promised to do. Is that good? Come on, can you get that in your heart today? Sweet dreams are made of this. The humility that we learn in the way we handle favor. And the humility that we express in the way we handle fallout. By just getting back up and continuing to move. In a recent study in the University of New South Wales, they found that people who had positive attributes of pride, a, a certain confidence that was authentic, that they, they understood, I'm good at this and there's something true to back it. I, I've received not only information, but the affirmation that comes with that. They actually showed an ability to have 40% more perseverance in getting through stuff. Not only did they have more perseverance, but they had more self-control, less anxiety, and more confidence. I really think that that's the things God wants to work out in us. As dreamers, that we would have a humility about ourselves and a confidence about God. So let me pray for you today. Jesus, I'm asking you right now that you'd help us to handle favor well. I thank you for your favor. I don't want you to forsake it. I don't want to get, get rid of it, but I do need to learn how to handle it well. That, that in the dreams that we've received and the goodness we receive, we don't want to boast about our riches, our wisdom, our strength, but about you. Thank you for entrusting your dream to us. And help us in the follow, God, to have the humility to get back up 
and to keep on growing and to keep on growing and to keep on building. Right now, if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you know you can have the humility in this moment simply to acknowledge your need for him and to say he's Lord of your life. It's a prayer really simple like this. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I trust you with my future. I repent of my sin and I receive your grace. If you pray that prayer today, then you are saved. And for each one of us, maybe you can say, hey, there's, there's something right now I can identify with. I feel forsaken. I feel forgotten. I feel falsely accused. Instead of making the assumption that, well, I've been wronged, which is probably true. Why not first say, in what way, if any, have I been wrong? And, and what can I learn in that humility? And instead of letting it take you down where you just fall down again, get back up. God's the giver of that dream. You can boast in this. You are learning the nature and the character of God. I want to challenge you, be at church next week. I know the message next week is going to be super encouraging for you, so it's unmissable. Don't miss it. I love you so much. Have an awesome Sunday. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.